has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Thus far the reading of God's word this morning. Let's again bow in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to come into your, your house of worship to give you glory, give you the honor that you so richly deserve. Lord, we thank you for this time of year that we can remember how you gave up your divinity and came to earth as a human being to experience what we experience so that you can go back and you can be our chief priest in front of God. We thank you for that. May we remember that the whole year through, not just this time of year. We pray that you will give Pastor Bob the words that he needs, the clarity of mind, to be able to convey those truths to us so that we will be able to go out into this world as your missionaries and to help a dark world see the light. We just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. And amen. John Calvin, in sort of a comment on this entire section of Galatians, wrote the following. Now, in order to appreciate more clearly the sense of this passage and also to gather the fruit that is offered here, let us be aware that this word liberty or freedom implies that we may walk before God with full confidence that He will always be merciful to us, even if we are guilty of many wrongdoings. We know that they will be forgiven. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, it is not in man's power 
to bind us or to hold us captive. We must be willing to obey our God, not because we are constrained or forced to, but like children who submit to their father, knowing that he will not treat them harshly. This is implied by the word freedom that Paul uses here. However, in case my brief definition has been unclear, I will expound it further. As long as we remain unsure of whether God loves or hates us, we will always experience mental anguish and a worried conscience. And we will remain imprisoned by these thoughts. There will be no freedom in our souls until we are persuaded of God's mercy that despite our unworthiness, He will receive us lovingly and graciously. Yet, it is impossible to have such assurance unless we have before our eyes the pardon that was bought for us by the death and passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because as I have already said, we are debtors to God on account of numerous, even infinite sins. We are bound to keep the law. But a hundred times a day we fail, even without our knowledge. Added to this, there is gross misconduct. However much we try, we can never be assured of the love of God until we are forgiven the debt of eternal death that we owe. Such a gift is bestowed when we are persuaded through the gospel that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was shed to cleanse us from all our sinful stains. His death was a sacrifice to appease the wrath of God and blot out the memory of all our offenses and iniquity. This is how we are set free, knowing that God mercifully accepts us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that our sins and shortcomings will not prevent us from obtaining grace at His hand, or from enjoying personal access to Him, like a child with his father. We have to understand that this is indeed the glorious truth that the Apostle Paul, through inspiration of the Spirit, is bringing us to, that for freedom, Christ has set us free. And we are indeed free. And that Paul's enjoyment of that freedom is that which he wants to see in these folks of Galatia. Stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. As I said, the, the first part of our message is the going back, because that seems to be the temptation. That seems to be what is before the people of Galatia in these various churches. It is indeed what is before you and I all the time as well. That even after we have gained this glorious freedom, there is a temptation that comes to us from the devil himself that would have us go back. Go back and enslave ourselves. Go back again to the chains of bondage. Go back again to the thought and idea that somehow by observing the law, we will gain our salvation or we can add to the salvation that Christ has given to us. 
See, there have been minor points that Paul has been dealing with that are coming from the false teachers. In fact, we could say, in a sense, everything up to this point, yes, this is what is the false teachers are proclaiming in Galatia. But nothing as of this point has raised Paul's righteous anger. Is that which we see in this passage. So we could rightly say that at, up to this point, he is contradicting, Paul is, that which the false teachers are dealing with. But they have all been rather minor points. The whole thing of, of the seasons, of the dates, of the days that they were observing. Yes, it's wrongdoing. John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 17, that all wrongdoing is sin. We have to acknowledge that. All wrongdoing is sin. When we don't spend enough time with the Lord in prayer, that's wrongdoing. That's sin. When we don't take proper care of our bodies as God's temple, that's wrongdoing. That's sin. When we don't observe God's day, that's wrongdoing. It's sin. When we make too much of days, as what was happening in Galatia, that's wrongdoing, and that is sin too. When we neglect time in God's Word, that's wrongdoing. It's sin. We have to acknowledge that. That is true. That's what Paul's been dealing with. He doesn't want these Galatians, you see, to think, oh, I can, I can dabble in this and I can kind of sort of put on just one of the chains or I can go back at least to the prison house. I won't chain myself to the wall, but I, I'm going to visit the jail and I'm going to go in the jail cell of the law. Paul is saying, no, don't even go there. But as I've said, these are, in a sense, relatively minor points that Paul has been pointing out. Many things you see are sin, but not every sin leads to spiritual death. That is what Paul tackles in Galatians chapter 5. Because here comes the major point. This is what the false teachers are after. All this stuff about days and seasons. All the, 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 the small little things about observing the ceremonial laws and feasts and washings. Yeah, that's there. Paul is saying, don't go back to that. That's wrongdoing. That's sin. But the point of the false teachers in Galatia. Those are all stepping stones. Those are all means to getting to the end. And the end is this. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. Now, first of all, we have to stop and reflect what that means. That would mean that for many of you in this room... There is no possibility of salvation because you are women. See, this is what's coming into these churches of Galatia. This is where the false teachers are leading. That's why these minor little things that Paul has been dealing with, with the Galatians and their, their, the false teachers, have 
are stepping stones. And he sees that a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. That if you accept some of these small things, you're eventually going to get to the point where the false teachers are at, which is what their goal is, which is really the heart and core of where they want this whole law thing to end up, is the fact they want to insist that every single person becomes circumcised in order for their salvation. That's why Paul, early on, had said, you see, in Christ... There is no male or female. He knows where that was going already. He's, they're going back, you see, to an Old Testament understanding of Judaism. Where we have separate courts for the women. Separate courts for the Gentiles. You see, it's this whole, you got to be a Jew or you can't be saved mentality. And you say, well, why does Paul... Draw the line. Why, why in, in, in Paul, and obviously then through the Holy Spirit, why, why is it at circumcision? Well, why wasn't it at the days? I mean, Paul doesn't, doesn't come out with the righteous anger he's going to display in Galatians chapter 5 when he's talking about the days. He calls attention to its wrongdoing. He calls attention to its sin. But not like he does in chapter 5. Why? What is there about circumcision? Let me ask you a question. What is it that Calvin was saying is at the heart and core of the gospel in terms of our forgiveness of sins? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. What does circumcision involve? Shed blood. See, if I go back and start observing Old Testament Jewish feast days and so on, I'm not shedding any blood. But if I get circumcised and think, now that I've shed my own blood, now I can be saved. What have I just done to the blood of Christ? If my salvation depends on my shedding blood from my own physical being, then why did Christ bother to come? See, this is where it's at. So here comes Paul's response. Paul responds to this, this going back to, to accepting circumcision as the necessity of salvation. This shedding of your own blood in order to be saved. Paul responds to that by saying, that is a denial of Christ. You are, if you go back and do this. If you Gentiles there in Galatia who, who heard the word of the gospel, who believed the gospel, 
who accepted the cross work of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of all your sins. If you now accept the philosophy, accept the doctrine, oh, I need to add to that by having this surgery done on me in order that I can truly be saved, Paul says, well, then what you've done is you've not severed just a little piece of foreskin. What you've done is you've severed yourself from Christ. You have cut off yourself from salvation. Now, that's pretty tough words, isn't it? To go back to that idea that in some way, that which I do can accomplish my salvation. Paul says, it cuts me off from Christ. You see, this isn't just sin. This isn't just wrongdoing. This is a salvation issue. When the thought becomes, I can do my own salvation. Then you've been cut off from Christ. It's a fall away from the doctrine of grace. See, what Paul emphasizes is the fact, verse 6, in Christ, you see, circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything. But that which counts is what? Faith working through love. Oh, and there we go. Oh, see, so there are works involved. No. Because what Paul is emphasizing there is the fact that this is all the work of the Holy Spirit. What is faith? Faith is a gift. A gift from who? From the Holy Spirit. What is love? Love is a fruit. A fruit of who? The Holy Spirit. This isn't us working out our salvation by love. This isn't, well, I have to believe in Jesus Christ and then I have to love in order to complete my salvation. What Paul is saying is, you see, this whole thing is from God. Grace is from God. Christ's blood is his gift to us. The Holy Spirit's gift to you and I is faith. And that faith which plants itself in our hearts and in our lives when we hear the word, when we hear the gospel, when we believe that gospel, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's faith. That faith emerges in the fruit that the Spirit produces in our hearts of love. So it's all of God. That's why in that next section, Paul, in righteous anger is calling these false teachers to task so that he ends with, I wish, verse 12, 
that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. I wish they'd not stop at just a piece of foreskin. Why? Why, why what, where is Paul coming with this? Because, you see, Paul has been arguing throughout this section of chapter 5 that if I obligate myself again to the law for my salvation, then I'm not obligated to just one or two laws that are easy for me to keep. I am obligated to the whole of the law. I am obligated to everything. I can't just pick out, oh, you know what? I kind of like keeping the Feast of Booths. Oh, I don't mind keeping the ceremonial washings. I don't mind keeping the fact that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm supposed to wear tassels on the edges of my garments. Because those things may be relatively easy to do. Paul says, no, we're not obligated then. If we're going to go back into the law, if we're going to go back to the prison house, if we're going to go back to the chains of the law, then we're obligated to go the whole way. We're obligated to keep every single law that is found in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd. We're obligated to keep it all. And if at any one point we fail, we have no salvation. Well, Paul's already made the point we can't keep the whole law. So the solution is this. Let's cut off a little piece of skin and that'll save us. Paul says, if you think that's going to do it, then you probably ought to go back and do the whole thing. You probably ought to finish the job just to make sure you're saved. Now, for you and I, we hear this passage and we maybe cringe a little bit. Maybe think, as I said, it's a little crude. And yet we have to remember that this too is inspired by the Holy Spirit with good reason. This letter is written to the churches of Galatia. Next to Galatia was another province, a province called Ferga. There in Ferga was the worship of, of a god by the name of Sabel. It was frequently practiced by the priest of that particular pagan deity to do exactly what Paul is suggesting here. They would, in service to their false god, emasculate themselves as priests. To show their love, to show their complete devotion, to show that they have given it all. So you see, we hear it and we go, ooh. The Galatians heard it and they look next door at their neighbors in the neighboring state and go, Oh, you mean like the priests? Well, see, and in the Galatians' mind, see, what Paul is saying is not so outlandish. 
what Paul is saying is, look, you see this in pagan deities in their worship to show their true devotion. Why would you stop then at circumcision to show true devotion? Would it not be better, Paul says, to go all the way? So if I'm going to start to become an observer of law as a means of salvation, then Paul says, then you're completely enslaved. Not just partially. We can't pick and choose. It's either grace or it's law. It's one or the other. As a matter of salvation. We're either saved by grace or we're saved by the law. But if you choose the law, then understand, Paul is saying to these churches of Galatia, you have completely severed yourself from Christ. It's an interesting play on words throughout this passage, isn't it? That Paul is using. Cut off circumcision severed from Christ. It all goes together. So Paul is warning about going back once again. But he also introduces us here to that which is the going forward. What does going forward look like? What does this stepping forward in our relationship to Christ, what is walking in grace What does walking in freedom look like? Calvin introduced us a little bit to that idea. It it has to do with, with understanding that the weight and the burden of our sin has indeed been taken away. And that glorious freedom that we have in Christ. And that's what Paul is calling us to again in this section. To live in the freedom of Christ. Paul's hinted at this and spoken about it in chapter 2, 4, chapter 4, 21 through 30. In the first verse of this particular chapter. Calling us again to, to, to live in this profound freedom that our chains have been opened. That we've been let out of the prison house. And we live freely before Christ. But note 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. But don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. See, we're to live in the freedom of Christ, but freedom isn't license. Freedom isn't permission. Freedom isn't a right to engage ourselves in all sorts of immoral, lawless, self-indulging, our sinful nature. 
activities, thoughts, words, actions, attitudes, that, that we go, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm okay, it's, I'm free to do this. No, we're not. That would be license. We are not given the license, we are not given the permission, we are not given the right to sin. All wrongdoing is sin. When those of you as young people reach that wonderful milestone of life when you turn 16, at least for most of you, for others of you it's 18 or perhaps later, you, you reach that milestone, you go to the Secretary of State and you say, here's my birth certificate to prove the date upon which I was born. Here are the hours that I have amassed putting up with, tolerating my parents, telling me where I'm supposed to stop at a stop sign, how fast I'm supposed to drive, how far I'm supposed to park from a fire hydrant. I've put up with that for countless hours. Look, here's the record. You take a test. Perhaps they still take you out on the road. You did not knock over too many cones. You didn't have too many points. So they give you a license, permission. You can now drive the vehicle. You now have your license. You have your permit. You are allowed to get into that vehicle and you are allowed to drive. And do anything you want, right? You can do anything you want. You have a license to drive. You can go 120 miles an hour down Arthur Street. You can go through every single stop sign. You don't have to stop for red lights. You have a license. You go, well, no, I have the freedom, but I don't have permission. I don't have the right. I don't, my license doesn't give me the right or permission to violate the law. Hmm. So as a Christian, I, have, I am free from sin, I'm free from the law, but I don't have the right to violate the law. I don't have the right to be immoral. See, Christianity is, is like walking a very narrow bridge. This is the the point that Hendrickson makes in his commentary on, on this passage. It's like walking a very narrow bridge. On the one hand is legalism. And, and if we turn from grace, we go back into legalism. The idea that we earn our salvation by the obedience and the keeping of law. On the other hand, on the other side, is the ravine of, of immorality, of thinking that because we are a Christian, we can do anything we desire. God will forgive me. It's all right. I'm a Christian. I don't have to spend time with him. It's all right if I'm married to have Affairs on the side. I'm a Christian. 
God will forgive me. It's all right. I, I'm a little hard up so it, it, this week, so it's all right. If I steal some money. After all, I'm a Christian. It's all right. It's all right I lose my temper all the time. After all, God will, God will forgive me. It's all right I, I drink too much. and It's all right God will forgive me. It's all right I don't love my wife as Christ loved the church. God will forgive me. See, we walk a very narrow bridge. Either we're, we're oftentimes going off into legalism or we're going off into this immorality, this idea that I have a license as a Christian to sin. And Paul is saying, no, no. It is for freedom that Christ has called us. But we are not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Instead, we are to love one another. And I got to this point in preparing the sermon and I said, I can't go further. I can't go further because there is so much to unpack here. There is so much to unwrap in this serving one another in love. So Lord willing, we'll come back to that, that end. But, but let, me, let, me, let me just close as, as to reflect upon that. To think, you see, is this not that which we reflect upon in this season? That he who considered equality with God emptied himself and served us in love. Christ is born in a humble manger. He serves us in love. He puts up with a smelly stable. He serves us in love. He has to grow physically. He has to grow in knowledge. He has to grow in wisdom. The Christ serving us in love. He has to tolerate 12 guys who don't ever seem to get it. Who are a disappointment over and over and over again. And in the midst of his greatest crisis are sleeping. Serving in love cries out from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Serving in love. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Serving in love. Thomas, see my hand, see my side. Serving in love. Peter, do you love me? Serving in love. Even now, intercessing before the Father in heaven. Serving in love. 
What does freedom look like? Freedom looks like a towel around the waist of Jesus at the feet of his disciples. It is for freedom, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we have been called. Freedom. You see, we used to be in bondage to having to work out our own salvation. Bondage to that law that we could never, never overcome. But now Christ has set our hands free. He set our feet free. So that we can what? Serve in love. I say I, I got to this point there's just so much and, and we've just touched just touched a little portion of what this is see if, if we really want to grasp what happened in Bethlehem then we need to grasp the fact that in that child there is freedom Freedom to serve in love. Lord, I want to be that kind of Christian. Amen?